Romans, fifth chapter. This is such an important chapter. The whole book of Romans is. But if we can get a firm grip on on this chapter 5, because it's going to set us up, and we can keep coming back to the truths that we're going to find here in Romans 5 for the whole remainder of the book, especially chapter 6, 7, and 8. We're going to keep coming back to chapter 5. And all that the Apostle Paul is teaching us. So to today is as we well, we finally got through the first four chapters, but here we begin. Chapter five, verse one. We're gonna read down through verse eleven. That's kind of a completed thought, I believe, of the Apostle Paul. We're not gonna get out of verse one today, but I, I want to read through those eleven verses to get that complete picture of what the Apostle Paul is saying. I'll be reading from New King James Version this morning. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Oh man, what a great passage, isn't it? Woo! Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for Your truth. And Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And perhaps most importantly, who we are not, make us. For Christ's sake and in His name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna backstep just a little bit to get all caught up because keep in mind that that from from the beginning in chapter one uh, there in verse eighteen uh, uh, until all the way through chapter three Paul had been presenting the truth that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. He hounded on it and hounded on it, wanting to make sure all knew whether Jew 
are Gentile. There's no partiality with God apart from Christ, apart from the Spirit of God. All are sinful and under the wrath and condemnation of God. Paul made that very clear. No partiality. Every mouth stopped. All the world guilty before God. And this declaration that Paul has been making, there is no exclusions. There is no exemptions. Every unbelieving person, whether Jew or Gentile, is under the law, and all the world is guilty before Him. There is no salvation. There is no justification provided by the law. No justification by the works of the law. He had kept hounding that, hounding that, and hounding that. And then I know we, we, we asked the question, well, well, then preacher, where's the good news? Where, where's the good news? Well, he finally began talking of good news. Romans 3, let's read verse 21-22. But now... The righteousness of God, what? Apart from the law, is revealed. How was it revealed? In whom was it revealed? Christ. Christ. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Remember Paul kept saying, this is nothing new. The law and the prophets, take your scripture, Pharisee. And see, this was prophesied of old. But now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Whether Jew, whether Gentile, for all who believes. So how are we justified? Through faith and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Justification is by faith alone. In Christ alone. Not of works. We are saved by grace through faith and not of works lest anyone should what? Boast. Boast. Because this was a difficult thing for the Jews to hear because they had, they had been law keepers. There are Jews yet today who are law keepers. They've been taught that it was their works by which they gained or earned justification before God. But but what had Paul said? Let's look at Romans 4, uh, verse 5. But to him who does not work, and I want to pause right there for just a minute because don't ever think, well, I need to quit my job. That. That's that's not what he's talking about here. Those who do not work for their justification. That's what he's talking about, you see. But to him who does not work, trying to earn his justification by his good deeds, but to him who does not work, but rather does what? But believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted or righteousness. His faith is accounted for righteousness. Reckoned, imputed, credited. God justifies the ungodly. And, 
and as we as we've gone through these first four chapters, you'll remember that Paul dealt with every objection it seemed possible that the Jews might have had, that the Pharisees would throw at him. Remember, we kind of put scenarios of it together. But wait a minute, Paul, but, but you're forgetting one thing. We don't need your justification by faith, Paul, because remember who we are. We are God's chosen people. Come on, Paul. See, they boasted in their race. They boasted in their nationality. Well, Paul, we don't need all this that you're talking about because God gave us the very oracles of God. They gave, God gave it to us, the commandments of God, Paul. Don't forget who we are. And Paul, don't forget it was to us that God gave and commanded that covenant promise, the mark of the covenant by circumcision. We've got that, Paul. Don't forget, we've got that. And every time Paul had a response, every time he had a response, oh, what, what of your boasting? What of your boasting? Well, he had said this in Romans 2, verse 23 and 24. You who make your boast in the law, do you not? Dishonor God through your breaking the law? Because He had them there. Because who could perfectly keep the law? Nobody. You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through the breaking of the law? And the answer would have been, yeah. I guess we do. I'm just, just hoping to make it until the priest can go in and offer that sacrifice for me. And then what Paul say? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. That's what Paul had to say of their boasting. And, and then when we got into chapter 4, <laughs> Paul, Paul pulled, pulled out the big guns. What, what did Paul do? He went back and, and he pulled out two of the most prominent patriarchs in Jewish history. Who, who did he pull out? King David. And then... Who, who did they consider their father? Father Abraham. He went back and, and pulled those guys in. And, and he, he said this. This is how we ended uh, chapter 4, spending several weeks just on these verses, verses 20 through 25 in Romans 4. He, Abraham, did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. He did not waver at the promise of God. What was the promise? I will make you a mighty nation from you. But God, I'm old. But God, Sarah's old. She's barren. We've never been able to have kids. But what God had promised, Abraham trusted and believed. He did not waver in unbelief at a promise of God. And we had a sermon where we went back and even talked about that very thing. Why would I ever waver in unbelief at a promise of God? And, verse 21, and being fully convinced that what He, what God has promised, He was also able to perform. Am I? Are we always confident? Are we always fully convinced that what He has promised in His Word, He is able to perform? <laughs> and therefore, it, this trust, this faith, this belief, 
was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. And I'm going to bring that through the ages and through the years to us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in Him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So that's everything, kind of in a nutshell, they say, up until here. And then the great verse 1 of chapter 5. Let's put that up. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, in light of all that Paul had written thus far, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here, I, I want to do this. I want to read you some Martin Lloyd-Jones. You got Spurgeon? From Brother Scotty this morning, now you're going to get some Lloyd Jones from me. This is, you know, Lloyd Jones is, is is teaching through the Book of Romans, and he pauses right here for just a moment, and this is what he says. Therefore, quote, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We must pause for a moment. You noticed that he mentions again through our Lord Jesus Christ. How many times has he said that in the first four chapters? He constantly brings in the name of our Lord and reminds us of his death and of his resurrection. He has just been doing so at the end of chapter 4, and, and we just read that, and you would have thought that he had labored it so much that he need not say it again, but he says it again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We would have probably stopped there. But not so with the Apostle Paul through our Lord Jesus Christ. He feels that he can never say that too frequently. He can never mention the blessed name too often. What a wise teacher he is. He knows how ready we are to forget. So he is determined that we shall not forget this. Every time he mentions these glorious blessings, he persists in telling us we get them through our Lord Jesus Christ, that they cannot be obtained apart from Him, that any man who thinks he knows God or is blessed by God except in and through our Lord Jesus Christ is deluding and fooling himself. There is no other way. He is the only way. And if we but saw it as the Apostle saw it, we too would delight as he echoes in the mentioning of our Lord Jesus Christ. Underline it. Look at it in amazement. And let us ask ourselves whether we are as fond of the name as the Apostle Paul was. Whether we like to repeat it as he did. And note, not just Jesus, but our Lord Jesus Christ. To you, is He Lord? Is He your all? There is nothing without Him. It is all in Him. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the all in all. Let us give Him glory. Our Lord 
Jesus Christ. End quote. <laughs> Isn't that great? For those who are in Christ, for those who by grace have been saved through faith, what do we get? According to verse 1, we get what? Peace with God. That's why Jesus came. That's why He came. To bring peace. To bring reconciliation with God. You know, the, the lyrics to, to the old hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinner reconciled. You see, that's why He came. To bring reconciliation. Such a great lyric to that old that old. Christmas hymn. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, you know this. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and lastly what? Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Let's go to Luke, the first chapter. Verse 76 through 79. Here, here Zacharias tells of the peace that was to come with the appearance of the Christ, whom his son John, John the Baptist, was to proceed and, and to introduce to the world. And so this is him speaking. And you, child, and he's talking of his, his little baby, John, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our Lord, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. Who's He talking about? Christ, the one born in the manger, the Christ. Verse 79, why did He come? To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Peace with God. Isn't that a great verse? That's why I came. To give light to those who sit in darkness. That, that was me. That was you. Once darkness, until the light of the gospel of Christ shone upon us and drew us to Him. Jesus came to set our feet on the way of peace. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, Paul says here in Romans 5 that we as Christians have peace with God. Well, what does that mean? Well, what does that mean to have peace with God? Now, now I've talked about this through the years. And I... But is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. We, we, we need reminding. We need reminding. Even though we've talked about this perhaps many times. But what is this peace with God? I believe this peace with God is talking of identity. Relationship. Right standing with God. Having been born of the Spirit. Brought into a peace relationship with God. That means we are no longer enemies because before Christ, 
before the Holy Spirit came, before being born of the Spirit, we were all once enemies of God. You understand that? That's what Paul has been saying and saying and saying and saying. None righteous, no, not one. All have sinned. So it means to have peace with God that we are no longer at war. We're no longer an enemy of God. He is no longer our enemy. We are now joint heirs with Jesus. We've been adopted as sons and daughters of of God the Father. And we have fellowship in Him, knowing that our eternal destiny is secure. Every born-again believer has this peace with God. At the moment of our salvation, we are immediately brought into this relationship of peace with God. In Colossians 1, verses 19 and 20. For it pleased the Father that in Him, who's the Him? It's Jesus. That in Him all the fullness should dwell. And by Him to reconcile reconcile all things to Himself. By Him were the things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace, how? Through the blood of the cross. You see, it's all, it's all about Jesus. Our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. Jesus provided the way of peace with God by the work of the cross. Without the cross, there is no gospel. You understand that? There is no gospel. There is no way to the Father. Because Jesus is the way and the only way. Let's go to Ephesians 2, 13-19. Ephesians 2, 13-19. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, all of us once, we were far off, far from the covenant of promise, that was us, on the outside looking in. You who once were far off have been brought near. (laughs) Have been brought near. How were we brought near, child of God? By the blood of Christ For He, for Christ Himself, is our peace. He has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that He might reconcile the both to God in one body, One way, we're all going to be in one body, the body of Christ, the church, only one. There's only one, there's only one. Thereby putting to death the enmity. And He came. Who came? Jesus came. And He came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What a tremendous passage. For those in Christ, 
those who have been brought near by the blood of Christ, we have peace with God. That is our identity. That is our standing with God. And I know this child of God, it is secure and can never be taken away. How can you say that? Because the Bible tells me so. I am being kept by the power of God. If you're a born-again believer, born of God, born of the Spirit, you're being kept by the power of God. Many of you know exactly where I'm going right now. I'm going to 1 Peter, 1st chapter, verses 3 through 5. Peter had opened up, talking of the elect of God, the children of God. And here he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Like the NESB says, has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Remember what, what Paul had said over in Romans, the end of Romans 4, who was raised for our justification. Who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And who's the you? The born again. The elect of God. The recipients of peace. That's the who here. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the what? Power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Who is more powerful than God? Not there, no one. There's nothing. Nothing comes close. The strongest other power, whatever that may be, perhaps one of the... Michael, the arch, archangel, perhaps, maybe. I don't, I don't know. He... He's nothing but a, a gnat. He's less than that. He, he, you understand what I'm trying to say. There, there's nothing can compare. You can, you can not even try to make an illustration. It's, it's ludicrous. You cannot. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, more powerful than God. Now, now, child of God, get this. Get this. I hope you get this because this will change your life. This will change your way of thinking when trials and tribulations come into your life. You are being kept by the power of God. John 10. Okay, I, We read this earlier as we sang that song, He Will Hold Me Fast. We're going to read it again. John 10, verse 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice. Who's talking? Jesus. And since they can hear His voice, then who's the sheep? It's this born-again believers. My sheep hear My voice, and I know them. <laughs> Isn't that great? And I know them, and they follow Me. 
you, you want to know or not, if you're a true believer or not? I'm going to ask you a very simple question. Are you following Jesus? You know, I've, I've kind of, when people ask me, are you a Christian? I've kind of started using the phrase, I'm a follower of Christ. I follow Jesus. And then you put the label on it ever what you want to. Because if I say I'm a Christian, I don't know what connotations that's going to put in your brain. But I'm going to tell you this, I'm a follower of Christ, of Jesus. For my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them, what? Eternal life. Eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now let's go to Romans 8. Like I said, there, there's just such a great link in between chapter 5 and Romans and, and chapter 8. But let's just read the latter part, uh, 35 through 39 in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? Nakedness, or peril, or sword. <laughs> As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're catching that phrase how often we're, it's showing up, Christ Jesus our Lord. Put yourself in the verse, child of God, are you persuaded? Are you persuaded? Are you fully convinced? Are you fully persuaded that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate you from the love of God? I tell you, getting a firm grip on these truths can set you free from a lot of anxiety. It really can. See, some will call all this that I've just been reading. I've been reading from the Bible. Have I not been reading from the Bible? And some will say, well, you're talking about once saved, always saved. Well, that's what that's how you're saying it. I'm just reading God's word. Some some will call it, and, and perhaps I would call it this: uh, the doctrine of the security of a believer, or the perseverance of the saints, the true born again. And you know as well as I do, this has been a debate that's been going on for centuries. Many believe and many still continue to teach that maintaining salvation depends on the individual. I'm so thankful that my salvation doesn't depend on me. Because I'd have to get saved 20, 30 times a day if that was the case. Because I couldn't keep it. 
I don't know about you. You, you, you might be perfect, but I stumble. There are those who think it's up to him, up to them to hold and keep their right standing before God. What, what kind of peace can you have in your life if that's what you think? See, I came out of that. But, but, but you can lose your salvation. Well, well, well what, do you, what do you mean, lose it? Well, if you sin, you mean if I sin, I've got to go back to square one and get saved again? Or You see, and then, then they want to start putting in levels of sin. Well, not if you just do this, but something big. What? What? Well, who who determines how big the sin is? You see, Catholicism gets all into this stuff. Well, man, I hope nothing happens to me before I can get to confession. I hope nothing happens to me before I can get to to communion and the the dispenser of grace and the blood of Christ that's going to wash away my sins. What heresy! This is from we all, we all know the Salvation Army, don't we? Ring the bell, put your money in a little red kettle. This is from their handbook on doctrine. This is a quote from their handbook on doctrine. Listen, some truly converted people have fallen from grace. And the danger of doing so threatens every Christian. That's in the Salvation Army's doctrine statement. Where's their peace? We we, we would be living in fear. He's not giving me a spirit of fear. I don't know about you. But He's giving me a sound mind. I can read His Word. By His Spirit, I can discern truth from error. Now, he's still working on me. I'm not saying I got it all figured out. Don't, don't, don't say that. He's still working on me, but, but I know, I know I can read, and that's what, this is what the Word says. And if He's a God that cannot lie, then what do you, don't tell me this stuff. John MacArthur, let me get a quote in from him. Quote, Some will hold that a person is saved to faith in Jesus Christ, but can sin his way out of God's grace. Christians just live in continual uncertainty about their spiritual destiny. Let me pause there in, in his quote. A lot of people believe this. This is where they are. That which they received on the basis of God's work must be maintained on the basis of their own work. The divine righteousness they receive from God as a gift must be maintained by the righteousness they themselves achieve. According to that doctrine, salvation is received by faith but maintained by works. And that's true. Think about it. According to that doctrine, salvation is received by faith, but maintained by works. Let me pause again in the middle of his quote, but 
what did Paul say to the Galatians? <laughs> how, how easily you have turned from the truth of the living God and going back into works. That you received by the Spirit, are you now going to maintain it by works? Paul dealt with that with the Galatians. According to that doctrine, salvation is received by faith but maintained by works given by God's power but maintained by man's power. It is therefore a form of works righteousness. It teaches that if a believer's life does not measure up to God's standard, his salvation is forfeited and he is again lost in his sin. One day he can be spiritually alive and the next day spiritually dead again. One day he can be a child of God and the next be back in Satan's family. Obviously, if there is no eternal security, then there can be reason for fear from lacking assurance in the heart that one is saved, end quote. You see what I'm saying? If you can grasp everything that Paul is trying to tell us and give us, how comforting that can be for us. And Paul addressed the extreme on the other side. Oh, well, then I can sin that grace may abound. No. No. He addresses that. If that's your attitude, you need to check your salvation because you just may not be His. If you would have a thought like that, well, it's okay, I'll sin now, but He'll forgive me. And if you're living with that, you need to check something. Because I, 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 would, I would say check to see if Jesus is Lord in your life. But there is assurance. Amen? According to the Word of God. Not just by what I'm saying. But according to the Word of God, there is assurance. The truth of the verses that we've already read. Who are kept by the power of God through faith. Not our own power. He keeps us. He holds us in His hand. And who or what can snatch us out of His hand? No one, nothing can separate the truly born again from the love of God. Not even myself. See, get that in your brain. Not even me. And even as I've been going through all this, even some of you may be sitting there right now and you're thinking this, but wait a minute, preacher, I, I know some people. I know some people who were Christians. I know some people, they were preachers. I know some people who were deacons. They were Christians. And they have just totally left the church. They divorced their wives. They, they've run off and they're just living like the devil. Well, Preacher, what about them? <laughs> Glad you asked. Because some of you are probably thinking that. And maybe some people that may listen to the sermon, they're thinking that very thing. Doesn't matter what I say. What saith Scripture? Isn't that what Paul said? What saith Scripture? 1 John 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but or because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued 
with us. Talking about believers. But they went out that they may that they might be made manifest, you know what that's saying, that it might be revealed who they truly are, that none of them were of us, that none of them were ever of us. Do you understand? Well, well, yeah, you just pull one verse out of there, preacher. And I've, I've been, and I've been hammered, well, let's sit down with the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? Well, preacher, you can make that say anything. Just read it. I love what Alistair Begg says. You're sensible people. Read your Bible. What does the Bible say? Don't go off of made-up fairy tales that you concocted in your brain. Go by what this says. If someone remains in that state of fallenness, can a true believer have a time where they stumble into sin? Yes. And I'm not going to put a time frame on that. How long? Some will want to say, well, if they're out there for, I don't know, three months, and no, you can't put a time frame on the work that God may be doing in their lives. But if they remain till they die, they remain, then it has been made manifest, it is revealed, they were never of us. At least that's how I see the Word of God and what it's saying. They were never saved. What did? What saith Jesus? Matthew 7, let's go there. Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. Here's what Jesus said about it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you get that? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then what did Jesus say? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The wide way. The narrow way. The wide gate. The narrow gate and few and few and few will pass through it and what that should do for you child of god born again believers go oh lord why would you choose me out of the billions on this planet why would you choose me and call me to be your own See, that gets me when I consider that. Who am I? Who are you? That He would call to you. Just like Jesus called to Lazarus. That's what God did one day for us. One day we heard the voice of God saying, Come. 
Well, then, then the next question would be what? Well, preacher, how can I know? How can, any, how can any of us know that we're born again? Now you got me doubting my salvation. Well, perhaps that's a good thing. Because you need to know. You need to know with certainty, according to the Word of God, according to the Spirit that is in you. Again, it, how can I know? Well, it doesn't matter what I say. What Scriptures say? Romans 8. Let's go back there. Romans 8. Verses 14 through 17. How can we know? Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the Spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit, now listen, now listen to this. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, what? Children of God. I can't tell you you're saved. No one else can tell you you're saved. Who can? The Spirit of God. Pray. Pray. Call out to the Lord. Pray until you have confidence and assurance that is the Holy Spirit that's saying yes, yes, yes. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him that we may also be glorified together. Every true believer has been born of the Spirit. I, I, I love that song we sang. I won't forget that, that I don't know, second verse, I think. It says, Born of the Spirit, now I can see. It's, I couldn't see it before. Because the message of the cross before the Spirit came, was nothing but foolishness. Forever, You understand that. That's the Word of God. But born of the Spirit, now I can see. What can I see? All of the treasure You've given to me. Strength for tomorrow and a hope for today. A hand that will lead me Every step of the way. That, that, that's a great lyric. And that's what he does. That's what he does. Born of the Spirit. See, that was the problem with the Pharisees, wasn't it? No spirit. No spirit. They were nothing. <laughs> what did it say? They were nothing but what? Whitewashed tombs. What do you mean? That means they dressed themselves up on the outside. They made themselves look good. They stood in the, all the places and they did all the stuff and puffed themselves up. And on the outside they looked so good and so religious. But what's the Word of God say? On the inside there was nothing but what? Dead men's bones. No spirit. No life. Dead. That is not a true believer. A true believer, what do you have in you? The Spirit of God, the very presence of God Himself. 
born of the Spirit, and we have been granted eternal life, not temporary life until we mess up. Eternal life. To all who truly believe and have received Jesus Christ as Lord. Let's read some verses. John 3.16, you know it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever, whosoever, whoever believes in Him should not perish, but rather have everlasting life. John 5, we're going to keep going in the book of John. John 5 verse 24. Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word, this is the Lord, he who hears my word and believes in Him who sent me, who believes in God the Father who has sent me, this is Jesus, he who hears my word and believes in Him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not, and shall not, and cannot, and will not, and will never, come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. John 6, first verse 40. And this is the will of Him who sent me. You want to know the will of God? <laughs> Here you go. This is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son, who sees me, He is saying, and believes in Him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And go to verse 47. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Let's go to chapter 11, John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me, shall never die. Do you believe this? 1 John. 1 John 5, verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. Preacher, I don't know. Read the Word. Pray. We have been given the Word of God. Read it. Pray. Cry out to the Lord to reveal to you His truths. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God who is a true born-again believer. Those who continue to the end. To the end. They'll not fall away. Or they may temporarily, don't, don't take me wrong there, they may temporarily fall, but He will leave the ninety and nine, go for the one lost sheep, and remember, who's the sheep? That's not somebody that's lost and unregenerate out there. Don't misunderstand what's being said there. I believe... Well, this is me. I'm going to have to qualify it. This is me. This is how I believe it. He is going after the one who has strayed. And He will bring them back. He will never, never leave His sheep out there. Guaranteed. 
tell you these things that you may know. John 1, verse 12 and 13. But as many as received Him, (laughs) to them He gave the right, the privilege, the honor to become children of God to those who believe in His name. Who were born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. It's not your heritage. Well, mom and dad went to church. doesn't matter. Well, I don't want to say it doesn't matter. That's good. That's a good thing. But for you and your salvation, don't put that on your resume. No. That's not going to count for nothing. Well, I'm, I'm born, I, was, I was born in America. We're a Christian nation. <laughs> but, see, don't, don't start doing all those pharisaical things. Not born of blood or the will of flesh or the will of man, but what? Of God. Born of God. So there's the question. Do you believe? Do you know? Do you know that you know that you know that you are born again? Born from above. Born of the Spirit. Born again. Eternal life comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And we know from the Word of God that that, even that faith to believe is a gift of God. Ephesians 2. It's a gift of God. And, And that's the miracle. That's the miracle salvation eternal life comes by faith in Jesus Christ by calling upon him in faith believing the work of the cross by repenting by confessing our sins by receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and following him Romans 10 9 through 13 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I know I say this so often, saved from what? Saved from wrath. Saved from the condemnation, the wrath of God, which will one day fall upon all unbelievers. That's what you're saved from. And as a born again believer, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you know that you know? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I, I give thanks 
at least for for me it, it seems so very clear that it is you it's all you it's all you and and it's all Christ and the cross and all I did was respond to your call and so should anyone ever sense the call from you as you open their eyes to truth. I pray that you'd give them clarity. I I pray that you would let them know that it is you in such an overwhelming way that there is no shadow of doubt and that they are, as they are brought from darkness into light, into your glorious presence, that their sin Oh, it just causes them before your holy presence to just fall before you. And Father, grant them faith that they might believe. Grant them faith that they might believe and cry out to you, confessing their sin, repenting, believing and receiving Jesus as Lord. And then as best they can, by the truth of Your Word and by the power of the Spirit that that would now reside in them to follow Christ all the days of their lives. And Lord, perhaps for many of us here this morning, this is just a reminder to perhaps help lift us out of the mire to get us out of a pity party, to get our eyes back on You as it should be, to turn our eyes to You. And Lord, should should there be any sin in any of our lives, Lord? Oh, just shine light upon it, reveal it, that we might confess it and, and we know from Your Word that You are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, not, that, not that we fell away from grace, but we stumbled into sin. We are forever Your children. Nothing can change that. We are adopted by You. No one can tear up those adoption papers. It's written in Your book. No one else can touch that. So Father, we are most grateful for, a, for an undeserving love. For such a great a marvelous mercy and grace. So Father, in light of what You have done for me and for all of us, oh, how should we then live? Teach us, Lord. Teach us. Help us to have a hunger and thirst for Your Word that we may grow and learn. During this time we're yet here on this earth, this period, this time of sanctification, as, as You are cleaning up as the weeds are coming out of the garden, as we are being made more and more into the likeness of Christ, help us, Father, to stand firm upon Your truth and never, ever waver in unbelief at any of Your great and precious promises. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.